Welcome everyone to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. What's up, Doc? I've always wanted to say that. The Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 109, which is either pronounced D-W-Y-C-K or Dwick is brought to you by Dr. Burstein's Acid Bath. No baloney, it's abalone. Pete, as always, want to thank our listeners for sticking with us through not just the Luke Cage podcast, which, uh, gee whiz, Pete, after this, is uh, is entering that final lap, certainly. Uh, also, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. continuing. And uh, Pete, Doctor Strange should be podcast on the Pop Culture Podcast feed the weekend that that comes out. And of course... The newest offering from Fantastic Geek, the Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek. Pete, the show doesn't even come out until the spring, doesn't come out until March. We already have two episodes up, so uh, glad the people are finding that, listening that, enjoying that. Again, bottom line, if you are listening, thank you, and if you're not, subscribe today. But Pete, let's get to the business at hand for today and jump on into this episode. The Lowdown, where we review what's going on in the episode. We start with Simone Missick's Misty Night here in a little bit of hot water and interrogation, Matt. Indeed, Pete. Hey, that's Kenny from Rescue Me playing Krasner the Psychologist. Great to see the New York-based actor uh, showing up in this show. And he makes it clear he's with the Peer Assistance Program. None of this is official. Uh, but adding to the... To the uh, Oh, I don't know. The weight of the scene is how it opens with Misty looking directly into the camera, directly toward the questioner, nay, directly towards the audience. Yeah. Um, and Matt, I got to be honest. I, you know, you you look at the length of this episode and, and more Luke Cage is never a bad thing. But uh, I haven't gone back and compared it. It's got to be the longest Marvel Netflix show that episode that we have watched to date and i gotta wonder if it couldn't have um maybe benefited from an editor's uh snip snip here or there it was curious in that the episode never felt like it was lagging but rather that it was at an intentional pace of slightly slower um i, I agree i would have liked something a bit more zippy but I, I, I think they delivered the episode that they wanted, um, which is nice as opposed to, well, this is kind of a mess and, you know, you got to get it out to all the ABC networks for broadcast tonight or whatever the case might be. But, um, yeah, just a little bit of a different pace here as uh, as we start the first of a number of, of talky scenes that kind of probe the psychology of a character um, but don't necessarily do a ton to move the story football forward. Having gotten rough with a witness here with uh, Claire Temple, uh, she is uh, under this uh, scrutiny and a lot of things. It's a, it's an opportunity, of course, to delve into her background. You know, the idea of Misty being a point guard, you know, uh, is, is it a control thing? You know, you were benched, all, all this, you know, these, these mind games really uh, on the other end of uh, – Mr. Krasner. He says that he's there for pre-intervention, voluntary uh, discussion. It's all off-the-record chit-chat. Uh, 
he says that Misty nonetheless is calling out to the cameras that she assumes are watching her. Uh, he takes notes, really interesting decision on uh, camera placement here. We see him writing pen on paper, but the words are obscured by the angle of the camera. Um, and again, Pete, as you mentioned, he, he links her basketball background and the notion of control to what about the lack of control you had in that altercation with Claire Temple? And then we go back to her being held at gunpoint by uh, Diamondback and her ability to visualize or revisualize something she actually lived through there. And uh, there's the, the picture, the security footage of, of what happened. And, uh, you know, they there were extra eyes because of Scarf, everything like that. Her association with Luke Cage and remembering what went on between the two of them there. Uh, all kind of coming to a head here for uh, Misty Knight. Yeah, this notion that she has pushed herself to career suicide, losing her gun, not calling for backup, pressure from the loss of Scarf. What's going on with this Luke Cage guy as well? And... Uh, the scene really comes into focus when Krasner reiterates that he's not there to break her. She has already broken herself. The question is, can she be fixed? And with that, Pete, we have a hard cut to a garbage truck. Yeah, picking up exactly where we left him, except in a different spot where the truck stops. Uh, Luke comes to and uh, sweet Christmas. It stinks in there. We get the uh, title card and uh, return at Harlem's Paradise where a band is rehearsing. Pete, they sing Looking for Love while the new boss, at least for three quarters of this episode, watches through that iconic round window. Zip and Sugar and another, uh, another member of the gang wait. Uh, Pete, they're finally wearing those top class clothes. Top class all the way. Yeah, Shades here is listening to the Delphonics through the uh, now-repaired glass and uh, trying to step up to where Cottonmouth was. It's recounted how Luke Cage has disappeared, and uh, along with uh, the entrance of Diamondback, uh, there's discussion about how things aren't a mystery, uh, or at least things don't always appear to be a mystery. Uh, there's a wonderful moment where everyone follows Diamondback's pretend finger gun until he shoots a goon, with the real gun in his other hand. Yeah, that was particularly effective there. Um, and uh, what what follows the whole, you know, you're not Rick in Casablanca <laughs> line is, uh, is really worth waiting for. Yeah, this idea that Shades is indeed not Rick from Cafe Americaine. Uh, Diamondback tells Shades that he's done a poor job setting up shop, given that Shades has killed Diamondback's number one seller. And all of a sudden, Shades is looking a lot less powerful, and he's reminded he was sent to take care of it, take care of the situation, not Cottonmouth himself. Yeah, uh, Diamondback says that uh, he killed his uh, his good friend here in Cottonmouth, something that was a little surprising to hear come out, and then uh, talks about how he was like a brother. So we're not quite at uh, where we were last time, Matt, with you are my brother, he's like a brother. Um, and there's the trust that uh, Diamondback placed in Shades by sending him. 
and uh, certainly that trust is questioned as Diamondback has a gun in Shades' face. What's one good reason not to shoot Shades? Well, Pete, Zip, ever-reliable, returns saying that it won't help find Luke Cage any faster. And, uh, I mean, with that, Diamondback just owns the scene, sitting under that picture of Big E and Pete. He takes us down a, down a little walk here for two important books. One is, no surprise, the Bible, and the other is the 48 Rules of Power. Uh, the 49th, Luke Cage isn't dead until a body is found. And like that, we're out on the street there where Luke is still looking for refuge, jumps into a laundromat, and uh, thank goodness, Matt, somebody was washing a hoodie. Heaven forbid he'd have to throw on a moo-moo. Yeah, there's a slight sadness, a slight pathetic nature, in fact, to, to Luke here. And we can understand, we can sympathize. He's been been brought to this low place in life uh, as he fights for life. Um, there he is stealing the undershirt, stealing the hoodie, and all while in the background, the, the, the good old reliable, timely news report recaps that they're looking for Luke Cage. And with that, he slips out. Thank you, Team Exposition News at 5. At 5 or 5.30 or any time you need it. It's the Exposition News team. Uh, back we go to Misty, who uh, she's asked who she vents to. She used to talk to Scarf. No husband, no boyfriend. Uh, and then it's also recounted, uh, perhaps in a bit of excess, how she sees every detail. She keeps it in her brain. Pete, will she share who the last person is she dated? Probably not a good idea. <laughs> Indeed, she she's not going to share the personal stuff. And uh, she does, however, spill some of it in part. She met a guy at a bar. He he looked her in the eyes. They had coffee. At this point, the scene intercuts into uh, <clears throat> not coffee. And uh, it, he wasn't who she thought he was. And that just makes her feel awful. In the morgue, Matt, we have... Uh... A quick flashback to Mariah taking care of business, and I don't mean with the Harlem Renaissance. And then we have a voiceover of Mariah uh, talking to the corpse of Cottonmouth. Yeah, this is a really raw scene here as she's reminiscing over the old days. Uh, she reflects on Cornell having been left by his mother, left with Mama Mabel, and given to Mariah to act as uh, as the de facto mother. And she's just filled with regret as Shades uh, slips on in. And I couldn't help but notice, Pete, that the way that this particular uh, shot of Mariah was, was, was squared in the camera, um, I think they used multiple takes which i'm sure they needed to i mean she's giving all these emotions i'm sure some are a little bit too too much not enough etc but i kind of felt like the door that shades was slipping in on if you watch that instead of the wonderful performance which maybe makes me a monster for not watching alfrey woodard but instead watching the door it's like the door was like open close open close open close regardless shades has arrived I can't get over in this series the clothing that they've been able to uh, have for Alfrey Woodard. I just think it 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 puffs up the scene even more. You know, it's it's this uh, 
you know, the, the blue number here with the, the frilly type of thing. And, you know, it's, it's never overstated. It's never understated. And I, I think it speaks so much to her character. Shades, uh, as he makes his way into the scene, reminds her that she did what she had to do. Now they, they have to pay the price. Diamondback wants his pound of flesh and they need Cage to take the fall. Uh, they also need Mariah to be the face of Cornell's secret business. Otherwise, it's going to be nothing but chaos. Matt, with that, we're out on the street there and... They're looking for Luke Cage, and there's a police cruiser as he walks down the street there. They think he's intoxicated. And uh, he's asked why he's walking, where he's going, if he has ID. Oh, and he has to take down the hoodie. Pete, the metaphor here is clear. The subtext here is clear, um, if not slightly obscured by the fact that that uh, one of the cops is white, the other black. Uh, also, it even goes so far as to say that the little moment where we, the audience, are put into the put into the point of view of of a black man walking down the street, minding his own business and interacting with cops, um, we're obviously here for the hero, Luke Cage. So, though we know the cops are in the clear in this situation, and indeed he is uh, a a justifiably wanted person, um, albeit not for the crime that, uh, of which he's accused. Um, still it's this wonderful kind of sci-fi meets Marvel meets action movie where you go, oh, wow, Luke Cage is us. And, and he lives life a little differently than I do. The dash cam video is interesting for a couple of reasons. We get a date on there, December 1st. We've got a time 1121. So this is in the morning still. Um, and the way it is utilized later on, obviously in light of what takes place on it, but you know, this just hits squarely, Matt, at the intersection of, uh, popular culture and the society we're living in, you know, you reference the, the hoodie thing. I think, um, that one of the cops checks a photo is an important aspect in making the identification as opposed to. You know, some of the things that are out there that, that have happened in our culture. Um, but, you know, the, the, the dash cam is, is so important. And, you know, there's so much going on right now uh, in terms of police wearing cameras. I wonder if that is even was even a consideration in terms of the writing. I mean, it, it, to me, it's astonishing in an episode which is just fine and does achieves a whole bunch of things and most of all is about these characters and capturing where they are in the story as opposed to the amazing showdown or things of that sort um this is probably the strongest scene in part because it's the rare rare time when you can have your story cake and eat it too and you can have commentary and discussion and reflection on the black experience in america and you also can just have Luke Cage gets fined out by two well-meaning cops who in no way apply too much uh, pressure and respond adequately and uh, thankfully are, 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 are left <laughs> mostly just fine. You know, I, mean, I think in, in the course of a comic book movie, a guy gets thrown into a windshield, eh, you know, a couple of Advil, you're out, you know, in a day or two, uh, you know, cleared from the doctor or whatever. Um, uh, just this kind of quietly stunning scene that also achieves certain certain story points as well. I have to wonder when he grabs the white cop 
and then shields him, uh, Luke does, and then the other cop unloads a clip into him. Um, it That's a lot. <laughs> there are a lot of shots there. Um, I, Pete, I think that there, there are people with, uh, how do I put this? There are people with, with more urban experiences than you or I who would say, yeah, that's not a lot of shots. That's that's called that's called welcome to reality. And if you think it's a lot of shots, it is, but it's not unusual. Would would a police officer whose partner has just been grabbed unload a clip? It wouldn't be a standoff first. Like, had he not shielded the the partner, the partner's getting, you know, killed. And even then, um, all right, yeah, they they know they're they're dealing with an individual who's who's powered are they fully you know um briefed on the the powers that okay i'm gonna shoot him though he's he's grabbed my partner and they're not the bullets are not going to come out the other side and i'm killing my partner i mean there's there's a lot going on there if if we can excuse it for story expediency hand of the writer i'm okay with that if we can quote unquote excuse it as Pete everything you said is correct and still there was an excess of force and that's something to think about I'm okay with that too and again I can only return to the fact that that the show uh representing you know two two uh intellectual properties or two companies in Marvel and Netflix that are interested in as broad a uh, an audience as possible, the fact that they can do both to me there is the writerly um, there is the writerly focus. There there is the really interesting thing. Um, I, I though it's not the purpose of the podcast to be discussing uh, contemporary issues. Contemporary issues have shown up here, and, and I just find it fascinating to see how how the show is dealing with it. That he does grab the cop he throws into the cruiser. He lays them both out next to one another. Uh, again, shows re- restraint on Luke's behalf. But you know, like I said, I I think this this scene screams off of the TV, given so much our culture's dealt with in recent years. And certainly, the scene uh, concluding with his stealing of the police cruiser, and we go from those cops back to uh, back to Krasner, the psychologist. He has brought in a lemonade. Lemonade was a popular drink, and it still is, Matt. Do you know what that's from? Pete, if I'm if if I'm not mistaken, I believe that's some some gangstar lyrics. That is. That is a line from DWYCK or Dwick, depending on how you'd like to uh, pronounce it. Matt, do you know what the two possible meanings? of the title of this episode are well i believe the latter refers to a a body part let's yes, just say it, it, it can be another way to refer to uh the male genitalia what is what is the other one i'd rather focus on that pete the acronym matt is uh do what you can kid And I think it's appropriate that we bring all of this up now, given the story that comes up with 
the Country Time Lemonade. Now, I don't know about you. When I saw the Country Time Lemonade, that took me back. Well, <laughs> I have a very specific reaction to Country Time Lemonade. When I was in my early teens, uh, I read somewhere, you know, some little info box in Time Magazine or something about how there's more lemon juice in lemon-scented Mr. Clean than there is in Country Time Lemonade. And I have never been able to drink Country Time Lemonade again. It tastes, at least back as a teen, it would taste like soap to me. Well, that sounds like you got it off of a Snapple cap, if you ask me. But uh, I'll tell you another story, Matt, and that has to do with uh, Mercedes Night in the year 1995. Every uh, you know radio, Matt, back then was playing Shook Ones or Ice Cream. It was a wistful time, but uh, Misty's mom told them never to walk around by themselves. It was hot. She was thirsty. And she went inside the bodega there because her friend, Cassandra, was talking to some cute boy. When Misty came out of the bodega, Cassandra was gone. Misty, of course, had gotten that lemonade. And uh, a really sad turn to things here. Uh, Cassandra's body was found two weeks later, the victim of a neighborhood gang rape. Uh, little investigated by the police and uh, certainly no one in the community speaking up to uh, to out the perpetrators. And that's why Misty is a cop. That's why she stayed in Harlem, even though she could have been downtown or even gone fed. She stayed in the community and didn't know a darn thing about Scarf being dirty. This is the origin story, Matt. You know, everybody needs one. And, and to create this crisis in her career here, something she's very good at, but through this series of events winds up uh, in the crosshairs of trouble. And to go back into what happened when they were running around the, the polo grounds, uh, you know, more than 20 years ago, and to create this cause for justice in her as a result of this heinous crime. She is reminded that she sees everything, but somehow never saw a scar for what he was. And uh, she claims to be the victim of a double standard. Male cops screw around and make mistakes and it gets ignored. But she's reminded in, in, in an incredibly uh, honest moment. Uh, has she never screwed around with someone on the job? Has How about when she went after Luke Cage alone? Or when she lost control of the Diamondback or lost her composure with Claire? So this notion, and a rather uh, refreshing one, not that I'm saying, oh, let's get those lady cops, but the notion of there is no double standard here. There is you being laid bare for your mistakes. Yeah, it's an interesting setup in that without him doing much talking, getting the information out of her, which, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that's that's police 101. You let people fill space, good cop them, and, you know, they'll they'll pin themselves down. Well, Pete, I don't need to remind you, it's not just good cop stuff. That's also good journalist stuff. Absolutely. The story moves back to a location. Pete, I don't have the exact name in my notes. It says totally not Matt Murdock's childhood gym where he still returns occasionally in the Daredevil. Totally not that gym, but it is instead the one run by Domingo. 
definitely not Fogwell's gym. There would be signs, Matt. This is Cologne's gym. This is up in Harlem. There are two different uh, sections of Manhattan. I, I don't see any cause for confusion um, except for the fact that uh, Marvel Netflix probably only has one gym set. Or, Pete, how about this? See, I just watched a great documentary also on Netflix called Koch about Mayor Ed Koch, the beloved Mayor Ed Koch, mostly beloved. I know that he spurred a, uh, a housing uh, growth initiative, building a lot of stuff. Is it possible, Pete, that there was a gym contractor in the early 80s that was responsible for a number of, <laughs> of, of gym locations in all sorts of areas looking to be revitalized? Hell's Kitchen... Uh, and and Harlem being being two of them, it's it's not far fetched. I think more far fetched is that uh, Domingo Cologne would uh, uh, spit half eaten candy bars on the floor at his own gym. <laughs> well, that, that's just a waste of a candy bar. Enjoy Halloween, everyone. Um, anyhow, Mariah shows up there. What happened here? Uh, she says, same as you, or rather he says, same as you. The suggestion being that Luke Cage has ravaged uh, both their their businesses. But he, she's not there to talk about Luke Cage. She notes that they all contribute to the city one way or another. And from there, Domingo calls her out. He says he knows where she's from. And a fake step into the law can't hide the stank. Yeah, it's, it's powerful given that... Uh... You know, there's there's been the drama between the the Puerto Rican and the African American faction here. It goes back in their in their family in their in their bloodlines, Matt, and uh, that they're going to have to come to some kind of understanding. Mariah needs his help. Mariah tells Domingo that she needs help running things. She needs to talk to all parties. It's time to have a roundtable. Pete, that kind of sounds like that New York Comic Con scene, but I digress. She reiterates, Domingo is to gather all the bosses to hear her proposition. Haitian, Jamaican, Cubanos. No Chinese, since, you know, there's the whole Madame Gao stuff downtown, but Koreans should get a call to, and he's uh, he's told to collect them all for tonight. The speed with which this is happening obviously brings attention to it, but... Um... You know, given the the scene that Matt was exposed to ahead of schedule at New York Comic Con, uh, had to uh, obviously resonate with you. Yeah, particularly because I didn't remember all the particulars, but I was like, "There's a bunch of other people, and then there's Domingo and Mariah left over." This sounds like a whole bunch of other people being invited to this roundtable. Um, but before that, Pete, back we go to Mama's diner. And Claire is doing her homework homework on elastic skin cells. Pete, it's just all abalone to me. <laughs> and uh, the the name coming up there uh, as she's looking on the thumb drive that Luke had given her, connecting this to uh, Seagate Prison and Doctor Burstein. But Matt, unknown host. Access denied. Claire is at a dead end here. Speaking of Luke Cage, he arrives at the diner aching and looking in truly awful shape. Claire checks his wounds. It looks bad and it's getting worse. She wonders what he is. Only one man 
uh, knows that science and she's able to get some information from the thumb drive. And of course, Dr. Noah Burstein is name checked and Claire reiterates that they're running out of options. The wounds look like they're healing to me. I get that they're infected because we put a little white effect on there and that's not supposed to be in there, but almost like they're closing. Um, and, you know, some of the stuff that's gone on, some of the stuff she's obviously um, researching all while this is happening in a restaurant. And OK, maybe, you know, because her mom is uh, is running things here, they're able to control who's coming in and out, but not really the place you want to be looking at this. If if there was any impact on uh, the production of this episode by, say, uh, budget, you know, like. Ah, we got we have the big the big showdown on the you know on Liberty Island or something like that for the final episode. Um, maybe there's a backward uh, effect onto this episode. Like let's re let's have the meet at Domingo's gym because we already have that set, and let's have Claire working somewhere. Let's have ah we could build her an apartment set or back to the back to the diner. Um, or it's just written to be. An episode that does a lot of narrative things. I mean, I I, I don't want to be overly uh, overly critical or overly saying, oh, th- there's proof that this was the the El Cheapo, so we can get the good stuff next time. But just throwing that out there as a theory. But they need to get him out of there. And what do you know? Her mom, who lives in a city where a lot of people don't have cars, Matt has a car, a Ford Escape, no less. Wow, it, it Pete, it's all. Made possible by the writing staff. Back to Mariah's brownstone. She may be a former councilwoman, but Alex, her assistant, tells her that the interview requests are pouring in. Pete, even Tembi, wants another interview. Maybe things are on the upswing. She tells Alex that that, uh, Cornell told her to remain strong, always be strong. And Alex hammers it home. She plays this right. If she plays this right, supporters with deep pockets could back her political return. She's even impressed that Alex would leverage personal loss for political gain. Now, Pete, I think that we can all agree that it's a pretty low-down, dirty thing for, for her to take her interaction with the public, the love the public has for her, and to flip it to something that could be for, for personal gain or for monetary gain. With that, Pete... Tell us about Patreon.com. Well, Matt, if you get yourself over to Patreon.com forward slash Fantastic Geek today, your patronage of us will never be taken for granted. It won't be something that is cloying or not do some good. Certainly, Pete, we hope that our patrons and future patrons are getting, uh, getting bang for their buck And uh, Pete, let's bring it back to Luke Cage now. With the picture again of Mama Mabel that uh, Mariah started this scene with, Matt, I just happened to be reading an article. We we name-checked LaTanya Richardson Jackson, the Mama Mabel actress here pictured before. I didn't put two and two together, Matt. Do you know who the husband of LaTanya Richardson Jackson is? I must admit, I do not. Well, that would be Samuel L. Jackson, or I don't know, uh, Nick Fury himself. Wow, that is uh, that is awesome. That is absolutely fantastic. 
pretty cool that uh, she wound up in that one episode and, and that we've seen this this image and her shadow linger, Matt, even longer. Back at the police precinct, Misty returns to her psychologist. You see, Pete, she stepped out just long enough for nothing to happen in between her previous scene and this scene. She says that aside from losing her gun, not much of the evening bothered her. She wonders, though, how Stryker got the drop on her. Her uh, reflections are intercut with each other, suggesting that she's rambling and unloading in in a psychologically healthy way, uh, however edited for time, as she realizes that Stryker was smiling while toying with her life. Pete, this is her breakthrough that this is indeed about control. She lost it and wanted it back when Claire was talking sideways to her. Again, allowing her to talk her her way uh, through this, bringing up stuff about Pop's funeral, thought about her own funeral, her her uh, her father. Uh, it's a it's a moment of realization. There is a life lesson for her here. Like anything else, she needs to look and learn and grow from it all. The conversation seems to continue. All while Priscilla watches from that two-way mirror, not quite the camera that Misty was anticipating, but uh, a watcher nonetheless. And then Pete, day turns to night, and Pete, we're taking the show on the road. Yeah, a little road trip here in uh, in Mom's. Uh, actually, it's not a Ford Escape. It looked like one really quick. Uh, it looks to be a one of the uh, Hyundai's there. So they are definitely committing story time here to Luke going to see Dr. Burstein. After all, Pete, the street sign says they're in Georgia, so it must be Georgia. Luke is moaning and groaning, seized with pain. Little unbelievable that they would make this trek so far. Um, you know, Luke brings up that what if what if it's it's one way? Uh, Claire seems obviously a little bit more confident that they're going to be able to do something about this. Um, but yeah, this, this wasn't filmed in, in the, uh, the New York wilderness, Matt. <laughs> Just as a side question, Pete, I know Luke is in really, really bad shape, but this is a ride that you would definitely have to stop at least to, to hit the bathroom. Do at least in our, in our hearts, do we have a side story where Luke and Claire while taking I-95 down to Georgia, do they stop at south of the border? I have never made the drive, um, you know, down the 95 corridor uh, into the southeast United States. I've heard tell of the south of the border, um, and it, it seems like this this wonderland, Matt, even with magic space bullet shrapnel in your your belly and uh in the other side of your chest not containing your heart i can't imagine not at least checking it out well said i have a have a happy memory of having a cheeseburger at a waffle house at the south of the border in south carolina at like 3 a.m um but i digress pete they sure enough get to uh dr burstein's house uh, not before Luke is uh, worried about this could be the end and, and Claire telling him to breathe. Uh, but Luke is worried about Diamondback's claim that Diamondback is his, is, is his brother, his literal brother. And then, Pete, they finally arrive at the doctor's house. 
Yeah. Um, obviously, it takes some convincing here and bringing the doctor into the confidence that uh, Luke is there, um, bringing him in, everything like that uh, to kind of start this chapter of the story. Eventually, Dr. Burstein is brought to the car and uh, Luke is brought into the house and Dr. Dr. Burstein is impressed that Luke has no scars. There's then some exposition about exploding bullets and catch-up dialogue about attempts to get the bullets out, which take us to Burstein unlocking the thumb drive. It's amazing. Uh, less amazing is TV code for it's getting worse, which is <coughs> Luke coughing up <coughs> blood onto the hand. After the explanation here that his his skin is is like armor and understanding what's going on here, they bring him into the barn, which doubles as a lab. And uh, wouldn't you know it, Pete, if there aren't lots of leftovers from Seagate, there's the whole cover up. So, of course, Burstein was able to get all this equipment off the island from, you know, the prison boats that take them back and forth. Pete, they probably used the same secret tunnel that they used in Alcatraz to get from Alcatraz Island to the mainland. Don't worry. We got you a little win. Um, oh, I just figured out how they're going to get the bullets out of him with the colloidal silver, Matt. <laughs> it's all connected. Surprise. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is actually uh, a sequel to Alcatraz. Uh, Bursting fills in other gaps. Reva begged him to add Luke to this program, but he was already tagged for it. Uh, we get the rather requisite scene of Burstein trying to get a tissue sample, but breaking the scalpel. And uh, in what is pretty, I see, I guess it could be medically more horrific, but a little yeah. scary nonetheless. <laughs> Claire improvises a needle down the throat, but which does get that blood to sample. Uh, they're going to take it from the mucous membranes, and I'm going to watch this through my hands. Uh, back into interrogation, which is somehow uh, more comforting than what we just saw, Matt. <laughs> um, a, uh, a badge slides across a desk. Pete, whose badge is it? That's Misty's no, shield. No, that's the badge that belongs to the city and people of New York. Oh, Misty says it was the, a trick question. I know. Though Misty says the cops are wired differently, drinking and screwing when sad and mad and denying Priscilla's point, denying that police walk on a higher path. Instead, it's Priscilla saying, no, police should walk on this higher path. And um, though, though we have Misty kind of buying into the workplace stereotypes, she is being held to that higher standard. And uh, Priscilla hammers home again that Cage... Uh, is a suspect, and uh, this video of him throwing a, the, the the cop is proof that he is the sole baddie. And uh, Misty mentions still needing to get Mariah and the unnamed Diamond back, as well as Luke Cage. Pete, does that get her the badge back? I like this scene. I'm not going to answer your question right away. I like it because um, the two actresses here, the the powerful women they portray. And the the bond uh, expressed by uh, Ridley through the discussion of you know how important the job is and, and needing to uphold it, and uh, then sliding the uh, badge and the gun mat across the table. It's one thing to to put a piece of uh, you know tin in front of somebody. It's another thing 
to put something capable of throwing lead in their hands as a sign of trust. I dig that these two women are coming together here. Back we go to Not Fogwell's gym, uh, where Mariah moves into the back room. Hey, Pete, all of a sudden this is the Luke Cage scene from New York Comic Con. Uh, I don't Mariah- know if you noticed, though, what we saw at Comic Con was edited down. Was it? It was. There were things that were not in what you saw then. I had already seen this scene. Pete, you are not just spoiler Pete, you are sneaky Pete. <laughs> that is a good good catch there. Mariah owns the room as she tells those assembled who suggest she's late. Instead, she says she's she's just on time, just in time. She tells those assembled that she wants to run things differently. Specifically, she's out. She's taking the family in a legit direction. She wants to cash out of the family business. And Pete, that's when things start to not go so well for her because Diamondback slithers on in. Yes, he was invited by not being invited. And, you know, what an introduction that Matt had to uh, Eric Luray Harvey uh, after he off uh, stage while Marvel head of television Jeff Loeb was was talking at New York Comic Con, uh, grabbed the mic and uh, yelled, can you dig it? And the place erupted. And then uh, having foregone the press tour, trying to keep this this casting on the on the QT, uh, finally getting his day in the sun here, his introduction as the character, Loeb just needed to, to show the clip, which was the following. Indeed. And Pete, I can dig it. Uh, he says that if they aren't buying from him, uh, or if they are undercutting him, both require retribution. Uh, quickly, the, uh, gentlemen from the, uh, Korean and Haitian delegations are, are dispatched. One with a, uh, one with a bullet, one with a knife to the eye. Then he gets a two for one shot by taking out, uh, two more guys. That's a bullet to the, I believe the neck for one and hits the other in the head, uh, it, and that particular two-for-one shot, really smart uh, sound design there. I'm sure a bullet travels a bit faster than they make it sound, but you hear bang, splat, and then a split second later, the splat of the, the second guy being hit. And all of a sudden, this scene looks a lot different than it did about 10 seconds earlier while Diamondback is quoting the Bible, talking about betrayal, and more importantly, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Camels and needles, too, another biblical reference matter. Are you familiar with the eye of the needle? Pete, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that's uh, from the book of Matthew, is it not? 1924, Matt. Again, I say to you, it is easier to uh, for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I think the reference here uh, clearly on point this was a um, the, the the eye of the needle was a gate in um, Jerusalem. This was not actually passing a camel through the eye of a needle there, uh, but it might have well has been the same thing. And given that the way Diamondback comes in and just chews this scene up, uh, certainly makes it difficult for him to get to heaven. Pete, I bet when our listeners tuned into this particular podcast, they didn't know that in addition to 
covering the particulars of this episode of Luke Cage, that we were also going to get a discussion about police tactics uh, relative to the black community, as well as some biblical analysis. Pete, the only way that we could complete the bingo card today is if we talk about some sort of big, uh, important, perhaps somewhat despised uh, uh, business uh, in, in America. We'll see if we get there. Back to this story. Domingo calls him crazy. Diamondback uh, does not want to beef, however, with Domingo's cousins uh, south of the border. He notices, though, that Mariah isn't flinching. Uh, she doesn't scare him and is uh, is told to tell him why they should be friends. The answer, Luke Cage. Mariah says that Diamondback uh, sees a man who needs to die. She sees a marketing dream. Pete, you gotta go big pharma. Invent the disease and sell the cure. <laughs> Bingo! There you go. And uh, the, we've been building towards this. How, you know, with her losing her Harlem renaissance, with uh, Diamondback's uh, arms dealing uh, kind of uh, put on the back burner because of uh, Luke Cage and his ability to weather at least two of these bullets to this point, how do we team them up? How do we put it all together? Um, and by invoking uh, the pharmaceutical companies, Matt, that, you know, is it is it hand of the writer? I'm going to say it's an eloquent, it's an elegant hand of the writer to bring in uh, our, our pharmaceutical company problem. The, the, the bottom line is this. That, that Diamondback has a gun who can take out threats like Luke Cage and it can be done in the light. And she's happy to give this information for free, this idea to kind of anti-superpower the, 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 the police forces with, uh, with uh, Diamondback taking these things legit. She's happy to share all of this for free. After all, she's out. No, no, she's told. You're staying in. And uh, he also tells Domingo that he's being kept alive to get the word out from Diamondback. You buy or you die. And oh, the Mexican Domingo surely can get someone to clean up this mess, right? Ouch. Ouch. Back at Harlem's paradise, the Delphonics are wrapping up. And now it's Diamondback watching from the balcony this time. And he is told that the cage footage is viral. Diamondback says this is a good thing, and the song continues and plays over Misty, setting up a new wall of information. Luke, Diamondback, Stokes. Pete, can we infer that Misty thinks those three are in league somehow? We can, and uh, these musical montages have very quickly, I mean, we say very quickly, nine episodes in, they've, they've become a staple and a, a way of not only giving us the, the feel using this uh, this set they have as Harlem's Paradise, which, you know, you killed the, the proprietor, could have just as well go away. But, you know, to to use it to integrate the music into the story. So part of the, the culture of Harlem and to push the story forward. Back we go to Georgia, where Dr. Burstein gives us lots and lots and lots of exposition about how the experiments uh, were a result of DNA fused with abalone. Uh, also, it's impossible to recreate the exact conditions of the experiment, not, not, not knowing what the temperature was exactly. 
Um, also given is the handy metaphor of needing to weaken the lock of Luke's skin in order to open it with the key. The downside, Luke's skin could peel off like wax paper, so that's a possibility. Pete, worth the uh, worth the gamble for you if you were Luke Cage? I think that at this point he'd be willing to try anything and that even Captain Rackham is name-checked here, Matt, when – uh, they're talking about how the initial uh, experimentation was uh, creating artificial skin for burn victims. There is an odd momentum to the scene. Clearly, they're they're floating that Luke might die, which is not something. I mean, a it's not something that I really take as a possibility, even despite where we are headed. But um, it, it it didn't seem as though they were they were barreling towards the conclusion of the episode. Um, regardless. Uh, there's another possibility that Luke whispers to Claire that he doesn't survive and Burstein is ready to take the data and replicate this a thousandfold. Uh, with that, Luke is slowly, slowly, slowly lowered into the, the tub of acid. Uh, his screams off the bat suggest that this is a very bad idea. And he's down there a short amount of time and then brought up when he's close to cardiac arrest arrest still the scalpel won't cut through they dip him again and it doesn't work again panic sets in bursting doesn't know what to do luke goes into cardiac arrest again then flatlines loose luke gives what had meant to be this this sign of uh you know if, if he needs to come out the the fist so it's a cry for help and a cry for power then the fist falls down pete is luke cage dead to end the episode well matt clearly you're not going to kill off the titular character, especially since he will be teaming with uh, the three other defenders in that miniseries so that they commit to this as at the end of an episode. But at the same time, you're binging this. So you just go to the next one. And yeah. Pete, now we're going to talk about some bad Chucho math. Whoa, we're just talking about bad guys, Pete. Pete, should we start with Krasner? Yeah, this uh, former cop turned psychologist, the voluntary interrogation, everything that comes along with this. And I like where the writers committed in terms of, okay, well, you know, we're going to have this guy talk, but it's going to be Misty that's going to reveal so much about herself through uh, his guidance his presence i think it also gives the story flexibility and it also lends the story credibility clearly she's an officer in some degree of crisis so now's the time to kind of address that particularly since the citizen in question uh claire was given the full opportunity to to make a legal issue out of it and since she hasn't i think as as the you know, as as Priscilla, the boss, has witnessed things, it's time to count yourself lucky that that something hasn't been pursued further. I don't want to say blown out of proportion because clearly Misty was out of line, but to call in a Krasner, somebody who's kind of half cop and half not, who's half official and half not, um, I, I can only assume that that that, that is uh, realistic. But secondary to that is kind of the story function of recognizing that this woman needs needs intervention otherwise you're going to have a bad cop or, or somebody who's bounced out um or that sort of thing 
We've seen Shades, Matt, on the rise. Uh, it was kind of cool to see him knock down a peg here, though. Yeah, certainly his ascension, uh, we can recognize now, has in part uh, been put there so Diamondback can, can push him back down. Um, you have to feel bad for the guy, but also he's always been Diamondback's number two, so to see him uh, kind of set back in place for that is uh, is a reminder, Pete, that, that Diamondback is the sun and uh, you don't want to fly too close to him. Well, you mentioned Diamondback here, and we talk about Eric LeRae, Harvey's tremendous performance. But to see the character, you know, we had the the seeming reveal of, you know, Luke Cage is my brother. And then to admonish Shades here about killing Cottonmouth, killing his friend, and then to have him show up as the heavy in this this big round table scene. Um, again, the, the shadow looms, um, I think viewers at this point uh let me ask you i I think it's a question of of clarity is he isn't he and you know with mariah's uh guidance we'll get to her in a in a minute here going straight well to my mind based on on only what i've seen these nine episodes it's clear that diamondback is suggesting that that literally he shares a father uh with luke cage which I mean, the story potential there, I, I think, outweighs the story potential for saying, uh, nope, it was a metaphor all, all along. The idea that the preacher's, uh, the, 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 the son of the preacher, Luke Cage, who was the, the beloved son, but uh, ultimately the one who was less religious, that he compares unfavorably to the the illicit son of the preacher who has gone down a path of crime but also one of righteousness i mean i'm sorry that's that's too good to pass up it is delicious stuff and you know i mentioned mariah before to have her here again those familial uh bonds just hanging over the the check back to mama mabel everything that's gone on there and uh the, the manipulative way with which she approaches her work, even when she's not employed by the city anymore. Yeah, Mariah looking to de-escalate her role in, in this illicit world. Um, and when that isn't, uh, when there's not an easy route that makes that possible, she looks like she's willing to compromise and play ball at least halfway to kind of get get half a foot out the door uh, if not the whole foot and uh there's something to be said for that degree of uh, of pragmatism domingo matt back in cologne's gym but as one of the survivors of this round table uh you know i i like the seemingly comedic moments he's allowed in the midst of this terror yeah he's um you almost have to feel bad for him, even though you know he's a bad guy as equal to to some of these others, uh, Cottonmouth and, and Diamondback, uh, certainly existing in the same world. But this is like he and some of his compatriots, uh, the others of which didn't make it out of that roundtable, it's like they didn't get the memo that the world had quickly changed uh, in the last 24 hours, in the last 72 hours. And... <laughs> I think you can almost feel a sympathy with him where it's like 
boy, things just things just happened fast. <laughs> Speaking of things happening fast, Matt, Dr. Noah Burstein here potentially killing Luke Cage. That's got to make him a bad guy. Well, I'm not sure. I think the, the discussion is a good one to have. It's a little unclear here what are Burstein's uh, ultimate motivations. I think for much of his time in this episode, he's absolutely concerned for the well-being of a patient who whose current condition he has contributed to and uh, whose current situation he can help resolve. That said, you can kind of you can see where Luke is coming from that live or die. All Burstein needs to do is hang on to that thumb drive. And he's back in the middle of, of a really exciting and important and dynamic corner of the medical world. So I guess we'll have to find out next week to see what his motivations are. The big picture where we break down theories about the road ahead. Pete, where are we starting? Let's start, Matt, with the reveal, courtesy of Dr. Burstein, that while Luke's uh, inclusion in the experiments was accelerated, he had already been tabbed to be included. Burstein attributes that to uh, to Luke's uh, fighting spirit. I think he means more emotional than physical. And you know what? I would buy it. I, I, I think that this this reveal is totally believable. Uh, in that we've seen that that degree of determination that Luke has. Pete, I know you know how this ends, but, but just kind of think through this with me here. Is there any way the Burstein makes it out of the next episode? We know Luke has to be on the mend, start to wrap up things. We have four episodes left. You figure you give him episode 110 to heal, then the final three for there to be justice. We also can't have a thousand Luke Cages running around. So uh, is it curtains for Dr. Burstein? I'm not telling. <laughs> Word on the street where we hear from you, the listener. Pete, what do you have in your mailbag? Well, Matt, we have been left a pair of reviews on iTunes uh, the first came into the uh, Fantastic Geek pop culture podcast feed, but was specifically about uh, Luke Cage. So we will begin there. The headline is Review of Luke Cage Podcast Five Stars by Loves Raiden. And it reads, I love your Luke Cage podcast. I have listened to all of your Marvel Netflix podcasts, and they are smart funny, insightful, and truly give me a more thorough understanding of the program. It took me about 15 minutes to figure out how to leave this review, but I was not going to give up. I want your podcast to be number one as you are, all caps, the best. Tell Peter, 8,495 followers can't be wrong. We'll, we'll update that one in a little bit there, Loves Raiden. I am a 63-year-old <laughs> retiree, and because of you, I can impress my grandson with my in-depth knowledge of the MCU. I usually listen when I am sewing or hand quilting. You make the time fly. Keep up the good work. Now I need to figure out how to send you a donation for the many hours of entertainment you have provided me. Wow. Well, first of all, I mean... <laughs> 
I'm smiling from ear to ear, not because of the Patreon thing. We'll get to that. But it's those little stories, Pete, that you and I talk about occasionally on air and, and most of the time off air where it, it's wonderful to be a part of people's lives like that and to to i don't know to know that somebody's there knitting hearing what we have to say joining in on the conversation bringing it bringing it to grandchildren that is awesome that is absolutely fantastic i got the notification on my phone of this review and i was in the line at dunkin donuts and i i didn't move forward and uh the lady thought i got some like really important good news she asked you know you having a baby did you just get engaged and uh, I didn't have the heart to tell her, no, on, on the iTunes machine, somebody left our internet radio show a really, really nice remark just because I'm not quite sure she would have gotten the references. <laughs> well, as to the second part of the question, patreon.com slash fantastic geek, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash, well, fantastic geek. It uh, will be info there on how you could do a, uh, you know, become a Patreon supporter. And uh, it, Patreon, by by the way, it's set up is set up to recur. But of course, uh, we have people who will say that they just want to do it for a little time or do it for one time. And uh, we're happy to meet you at any level. All are appreciated. Our second review, Matt, comes to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek on iTunes. Uh, we're up to six. But they're all five-star reviews. We'd love to hear from some more people. But this was left by a longtime friend of the podcast, Crescent Moon 621 And she writes, uh, best ever, five stars. Pete and Matt are on top of it all with another one of their amazing podcasts. Their pod- they podcast the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's great that they will remind you of how it's all connected. Well, always welcome to hear uh, to hear Donna's words there, and uh, certainly somebody who uh, whose listenership continues to bring us great joy, and uh, and we love knowing that we're uh, we're we're on her iPod. So uh, thank you so much for your kind words there, and uh, we'll keep doing what we do. Thanks again, Pete. The Twitter number was referenced earlier. Do you have an update? How can people be in touch with you on the Twitter machine? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-8530. Followers. Can't be wrong. And in fairness, that review was left, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. So no wonder the numbers were off there. But appreciated (laughs) nonetheless. I mean, they they can't update them in, in real time. (laughs) and while i am personally on twitter as looking back lost you can be touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways where we are fantastic geek on fantasticgeek.com fantasticgeek at gmail.com fantasticgeek at instagram and twitter as well really have been enjoying uh posting a picture or two a day from new york comic-con on the instagram uh, feed so that's been a been a fun way to 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 revisit it on our end and for people to be experiencing it so wherever you want to go it's fantastic with a ph but wait pete is there more facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek and matt we are closing in on a milestone not going to tell you what because i Ooh. want you to go to the facebook page and if you haven't liked us already and become a permanent 
or until you unlike it, <laughs> semi-permanent <laughs> part of what we do, uh, please head there. It's another place to interact. Uh, you'll you'll get it all, and we'll promise we will never spam you on the Facebook there between uh, political discussions and baby pictures. <laughs> Well, well done, Pete. Well, we will be back this Wednesday on the Pop Culture Podcast feed for Agents of Shield. Got two more weeks of that, um, and then uh, probably a week off on for, uh, on account of the election for Agents of Shield. There's an election uh, coming up. I wasn't aware. You I just might... keep seeing baby pictures. <laughs> Indeed, Pete, the, our listeners in the United States may be aware of, of an election, uh, which is upcoming. Uh, we, of course, will be continuing with Luke Cage, but Pete. Now that this episode's in the books, we got 10, 11, 12, 13. We have four episodes of the Luke Cage podcast season one left, not counting the season one wrap-up. So that is uh, is, is ro- rocketing to a close before we know it. But uh, the adventure always continues on the Fantastic Geek Pop Culture Podcast uh, feed, uh, along with uh, some, uh, some of the Doctor Strange. So Absolutely. an exciting time. Definitely. Well, with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. You think Peter Luger's is still open? Mm-hmm.